If you got your Bible, Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 29. Next week, verse number 30. Following week, verse number 31. Yep, we're going to make our way slowly through the book of Hebrews as we have done, especially chapter 11. Why? Because the book of Hebrews is all about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And because he is sufficient, and because he is supreme over everything and everyone, you need to, by faith, give your life to him and serve the true and living God. And the writer of Hebrews explains to us in the 11th chapter what it means to live by faith, to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is simply trusting obedience. Faith is simply believing absolutely in all that God says and then behaving accordingly to all that God says. That's all that faith is. It is believing absolutely and behaving accordingly. It is trusting obedience. And without that, you can't please God. Hebrews 11, verse number 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So trusting obedience pleases the true and living God. And I know you're here today because you want to please God. You want to honor his name. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, I make it my ambition to please him who is invisible. That should be all of our ambition, right? In Galatians 1.10, he goes on to say, if I seek, if I, if, I, if I stop to please, if I stop pleasing God, then, that's not how it goes. How's it go? Fuzzy. Oh, if I seek the favor of men, then I cease to, to please the true and living God. Because he's a bondservant of Christ, he wants to please God, not please man. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we're looking at all these individuals, all these characters that the Spirit of God has placed in the hall of faith, these heroes these patriarchs, these men and women who lived by faith, who trusted absolutely in what God said and then behaved accordingly to all that God said. And so he gives a slew of examples to this Jewish audience because all these people trusted and believed in the words of God. And so when you come to Hebrews 11, verse number 29... He jumps from individuals to a nation, the nation of Israel. He wants to show you their faith as a nation because he's going to talk about their faith when it comes to crossing the sea. That's today. Their faith in conquering the city. That's next week. That's Jericho. And shows you how this nation, when there was adversity bearing down on them, and there was uncertainty that was before them, they had to believe what God said. When there was difficulty behind and there was danger before, they had to believe what God said. And they did. And so he uses it as, as an example of what it means to please the true and living God. Because these people, this Jewish audience, knew that if they gave their life to God, 
the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient creator of the universe, there would be danger, difficulty, and uncertainty before them. And yet they had to believe what God said. And so he takes them all the way back to one of the greatest miracles in Israel's history. A miracle that is so profound that Isaiah refers to it in Isaiah 51. So profound, listen to this, that Rahab, the harlot, she's two weeks from today, because she had heard of an event 40 years before the event in Joshua chapter 2. She came with saving faith. And could it be that God is willing to destroy a whole army to save one person? Think about it. Is God willing to destroy the Egyptian army so Rahab hears about it 40 years later and gets saved? That's exactly what happens. I'm not saying that's the whole purpose behind it because there's more to it than just that. But you see, it all works together in the sovereign plan of God because God says to Moses, I will be honored through the death of the Egyptians, through the death of Pharaoh. I will receive my glory. And he did. Because God always achieves his purposes. It's a, it's a fabulous study. And so the Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, very simply these words, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. That's it. That's the faith. That's a national faith in crossing the sea. Now, again, if you're Jewish, you don't need a history lesson. But we're not Jewish. We're Gentiles. We don't have a history lesson. The best we know about the crossing of the Red Sea is the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston written by Cecil B. DeMille, thinking that that's the best we know about the Ten Commandments and the parting of the Red Sea. If you've been to Universal Studios, you know how they, how they parted the Red Sea. They show you how they did that on the movie set. But that's the most we know about Exodus chapter 14. But there's so much more that's there. So what is it about Israel's faith that teaches us how to walk by faith and not by sight? How to live trustingly, obediently in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that, turn back with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. And I will make my way through this 14th chapter, all 31 verses this morning, and point out to you some of the most incredible things that you've ever seen. And this miracle that is so profound that every Jew understands it, knows it, and believes it. Now, a number of years ago, 1991 to be exact, somebody gave me a book. That book was all you really need to know you learned in Sunday school. The man's name was Cliff Schimmels. In it, he relates this story. What did you learn in Sunday school? A father asked his son with a shrug of his shoulders and the tone of a child who has often been so questioned. The young boy said, she told us about Moses crossing the Red Sea. 
Oh, the father inquired with eagerness. What did she say? The boy paused only for a second and began the narrative. Well, it seems like this fellow Israel had a whole bunch of children who were being held hostage by this guy named Pharaoh. Old Moses got mad about that and went to this guy Pharaoh and gave him an ultimatum. He warned him that if he didn't let those people go, he would be in big trouble. So Pharaoh said, okay, you can leave. Then Moses loaded all Israel's children in big buses, and they started off. Well, old Pharaoh thought about that, what he had done, and he changed his mind. He called out his army and tanks and half-tracks and big guns and began chasing old Moses. When Moses and all those children got to the Red Sea, they knew they were trapped and had to do something. So they decided to sandbag the old sea. They sandbagged two sides all the way across. And then they got centrifugal pumps and pumped all the water out so they could go through on the seabed. But they weren't finished. They put big explosives all through those sandbags. And when Pharaoh's army and machines started down through the sea, the children of Israel detonated those explosives with this remote device over on the other shore, blew up the sandbags, and destroyed Pharaoh's army. Wait a minute, the father protested with a deep concern. Is that the way she told the story? Nah, said the boy with another shrug. But if I told you the way she told the story... You would never believe it. And he goes on to say, and that's the first lesson you learn in Sunday school. You have to learn to believe the unbelievable. And what happens in Exodus chapter 14 is so unbelievable that critics have tried to debunk it for, for years. But you can't debunk the truth. The truth always stands the test of time. So let's look at it together. Exodus 14, verse number 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal-Zavon, opposite by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them, and I will be honored. Through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now think about this for a moment. God gives instructions to Moses. Moses is the one who believes in what God has said. And God says, this is what I want you to do. Now, in Exodus 3, verse number 12, God told Moses, that Israel is going to come out of bondage and they're going to worship at this mountain. This mountain is Mount Horeb, which is commonly called Mount Sinai. So Moses knows where he's going to go. He knows he's going to go there first, then to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And all Israel knows that they've been in bondage for these 400 years. They know where Canaan is. They know where they're going. So God says to Moses, what I want you to do is that when you start down the eastern side of the Red Sea, stop right there, turn around, go back, and then begin to go down the western side of the Dead Sea. Well, why? Why do that? 
Because their Pharaoh will think you're wandering aimlessly. Their Pharaoh will pursue you. And there I will be honored among the Egyptians. And they will know that I am the Lord. Now, why is that important? Because you see, God's will and God's wisdom is always supreme. And for Moses, he had to believe what God said. But for the Israelites, they had to follow the leader. It's great to follow the pillar of cloud by day and the the fire by night when the cloud and the fire are going the way you want them to go. But as soon as the cloud and the fire go a different way, other than what you expect it to go, you can very easily begin to question. See, it's easy to follow the Lord when the Lord is taking me down a path I want to go. It's hard to follow the Lord when he takes me down a path I don't want to go. And they can very easily say, Moses, what are you doing? I thought you were to be our leader. Where are you going? We're on our way to Africa. This is not Canaan. Who said we're going to Africa? We're on the way to the promised land. This is not the way to the promised land. Moses, where are you going? Do you actually know what you're doing? Now fathers and husbands face that all the time from their wives and their kids. We believe what God says. We want to honor the Lord. We want to follow the Lord. We want to serve the Lord, right? So we begin to follow what God's word says. And the wife says, hey, honey, wait a second. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. He says, but honey, this is what the Lord says. But I don't want to do that. And the kids say, Dad, we don't want to do that. We want to go there. What are you doing? Because it seems illogical to me. It must not be right. But if God says it, it's very clear in Scripture what I should do. But I obey, right? I follow through with what God says. But it's so easy for leaders to compromise their leadership because of peer pressure. Because of something that seems unreasonable or illogical. But yet it's biblical. And so Moses is doing what God said. And so as he begins to backtrack, go down the western side and camp at that place, God is testing Moses. God is testing Israel. You see, when God's will and God's wisdom doesn't align with your will and your wisdom, guess what? God is testing you. God wants to see if you're going to trust him. If you're going to obey him, are you going to believe him? Absolutely. Are you going to behave accordingly to all that God says? Or are you going to do your own thing? Are you going to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Or are you going to lean on your own understanding? Are you going to acknowledge him in all your ways or just some of your ways? What are you going to do? You see, he's testing Moses. He's testing Israel to see if they will really trust him or not. Because he's going to put them in a situation that to them looks impossible. But yet God's going to put himself on display. He's going to honor his name. And God says, I'm going to make sure that I am honored. How's God going to be honored? He's going to be honored when he kills the Egyptians. When he judges Pharaoh and Egypt. Why? Psalm 9, 16. Mark it down. The Lord is known through the judgment he executes. God is better known in judgment than at any other time in the history of the world. He's better known through the flood than at any other time in the history of the world. He's better known with the destruction of Egypt or the Egyptian army than at any other time. He's best known with the destruction of Jericho, right? And where was judgment at its apex? At Calvary. Right? The Lord is best known through the judgment he executes. 
we, are, we come to know the Lord the best because of Calvary, where your sin was judged and my sin was judged in his son, Jesus Christ, on Mount Calvary. And God was going to put himself on display. So Pharaoh hears about it. So, verse number five, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, <clears throat> what is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And after all, for 400 years they had served Pharaoh. They had built walls and buildings and had been used in incredible ways. They had served us. What have we, what have we done? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He chased after the sons of Israel. As the sons of Israel were going about boldly, then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army. And they overtook them, camping by the sea. It says the nation of Israel went out boldly, vigorously, excitedly. Why? Ten plagues of Egypt. Remember the ten plagues? And had God told them that you should go to the Egyptians and you should ask for gold and they'll give you gold. Ask for silver, they'll give you silver. Ask for clothes, they'll give you clothes. They're going to give you everything you need. And they did. They went out with their, their, their arms filled with whatever they wanted from the Egyptians. They had won the victory. Things were better. They were going back to Canaan. Everything is at its best. After 400 years of slavery, finally we're free. We can go. They went boldly. They went with excitement. They went with vigor, right? It goes to show you that whenever things are going really, really great, there's going to come a trial. It's right on the heels. They're going out with boldness. They're going out with excitement. Maybe they're singing songs. Maybe they're filled with praise. This is so great. And then all of a sudden, Moses takes them a different direction. And they're going to be thinking, what's, what's Moses doing? Is he, is he really our leader? Does he know which way to go? I mean, we even know where, where Canaan is. How come Moses doesn't know where Canaan is? I thought we were going to Horeb. This is the way to Africa. Why would we go there? And then all of a sudden, they look up, and they see Pharaoh's army. So it says in verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For, if, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's a response. Why? Listen carefully. Because they focused on their present distress. And when you focus on your present distress, 
you always will forget your past deliverance. And once you forget your past deliverance, you will forget your future destination. And that's exactly what happened with Israel. They were focused on their surroundings. They weren't focused on their deliverer, their savior. All they could see was the dust from the horses and chariots bearing down upon them. And so they can't lash out at God because they can't see him. But boy, they can see Moses. Wow, Moses, is this what you brought us out here to do? Is this the way it's going to be? Now we're going to die? They begin to cry out because they were so frightened. They were living in fear. Fear of what man might do. But not Moses. Moses was different. Look how Moses responds. This is so great. I love Moses. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Wow, what a statement. How could he do that? How could Moses say that? How, could, how did Moses know that? Why, why did Moses have all this confidence, all this boldness, all this courage? Why? You know the answer. Why? Bones, baby, bones. Bones? Who's bones? Joseph's bones. Go back to chapter 13, verse number 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Remember that? Genesis chapter 50, Hebrews chapter 11. Why is Joseph in the hall of faith? Because of his bones. He said, take my bones up, because he knew the promise of God. He knew that after 400 years of Egyptian slavery, they were going to go back to Canaan. So what happens when they're let out of Egyptian, Egyptian bondage? What does Moses do? Moses gathers up all the bones. Man, he's got all the bones with him because he knows that if he gets all the bones together, guess what? They're going back. So he gathers up all the bones, man. he got confidence. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. They forgot about the bones. Remember the, the parents of Moses? They could walk by those bones every day. So what happened? They didn't fear the king's edict. They weren't afraid of what the king said. Why? Bones, baby. Bones. Joseph's bones. We're going back. And nothing can deter that. We're going back. So here's Moses, man. I got the bones. And maybe he's holding his hands. I don't know. He says, hey, guys, stop fearing. Don't do that. Isn't it interesting that the Bible never, never says anything other than stop it? When you're afraid, the Bible says, don't do that. Yeah, but you don't know my situation. You don't know how bad it is for me. The Bible says, stop it. Do not fear. Why? Proverbs 29, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. But he who trusts in the Lord will live securely. God wants you to trust him. So he says, stop. Do not fear what man can do to you. Only fear what I can do to you. God wants you to only fear him. 
That's why the Bible says over in Hebrews, I mean, I'm sorry, Psalm 111, verse number four, he has made his wonders to be remembered. Remember over in um, Psalm 106, our fathers, verse number seven, in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness and rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Listen, when you don't remember, you will always rebel. But if you remember, you won't rebel, but you will rely upon the Lord and you will rejoice in the Lord. But if you forget, you will fail and you will fail miserably. Can't afford to forget. They did not remember. Nevertheless, he saved them. For the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Why did God save Israel? For the sake of his name. Why does God save you? For the sake of his name. Philippians 1, verse number 29. You were saved for his sake. You suffer for his sake. Everything that happens to you, in you, and through you is not for you. It's for his sake. You have a hard time with that because we're so narcissistic. It's not, for, it's not about you. God saved them for his name's sake. This is what he's doing. He knows that Rahab's coming along. He knows that Rahab's going to hear the story of the Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea and how Israel went through on dry land. It's all about his name's sake. So it says in Psalm 106, thus he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters over, the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. That's Exodus 15. Ah, they quickly forgot his works. Very next verse. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but graved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So what did God do? God gave them the desires of the heart and sent a barrenness to their souls. That's what God did. They kept complaining. Because why? They forgot. They forgot his works. You cannot afford to forget. Why do we celebrate the Lord's table? First study of every month. So you don't forget. Can't afford to forget. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Why does Paul tell Timothy, a pastor, to remember Jesus? Pastors don't forget about Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, the Senate of David, risen from the dead, which is my gospel. Timothy, you can't afford to forget Jesus, who he is, and what he did. Because the accuracy of your memory will always determine the efficiency of your ministry. If you forget what God has done, if you forget your past deliverance, if you forget what God did when he saved you, okay, you will focus in on your present distress. And maybe you're here today, and everything you can see is everything crumbling around about you. And the distress of family, the the distress of friends, the distress of work, the distress of finances, it's weighing down on you. Listen, that's because you've forgotten your past deliverance, and then you've forgotten your future destination. Where are you going? You're going to glory. What happened in the past? You were saved from your sin. When God saved you, he made you a new creation. He forgave you of all your sins. He infused you with his spirit. 
He enables you to be called the son of the living God. And he gave you the power to overcome temptation, to overcome evil and difficulties. That's what God did when he saved you. You can't afford to forget your past deliverance. But you will if you focus on your present distress. That's what Israel did. Why, Moses? Why? They were afraid. Moses wasn't afraid. How come Moses wasn't afraid? Bones, baby. Had the bones in his hand. He knew a future destination. He knew where he was going. He knew what God promised. See? He believed absolutely in what God said. So he could behave accordingly to all that God said. The reason you fear man is because you do not fear absolutely what God has said. That's why. That's why you're afraid. Because if you did, you'd never fear. And so what happens? You know the story? It's a great story. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Go. Listen, there's a time where you don't have to cry out to the Lord anymore. You just got to do what you're supposed to do. Someone says, you know, you need to forgive your brother. Ah, you know, I had to pray about forgiving my brother. No, you don't. Mm-mm, mm, no, you don't. Just obey. Just forgive. Not to pray about forgiving your brother. Just forgive your brother. You don't have to pray about obedience. You just got to obey. But we use prayer as an excuse, don't we? Ah, I got to pray about that. Let me, let me commit to the Lord for a week or two or three. Why? Just do what God says. Don't fear. Let me pray about that. I got to pray about not fearing. I, I, you know, I got so many anxious thoughts. Let me, let me pray about that for a while. Why? Why? Why won't you obey? Just obey what God says. See, I, I can't do that. Oh, listen. What is more frightening? What is more frightening than the Egyptians, than the Egyptians wanting to destroy you? What is more frightening than your enemy wanting to destroy you? I'll tell you. It's the eternal God who wants to defend you. That's what's more frightening. And if you don't see that, you don't understand who God is. You have a very, very low, shallow view of the true and living God. It's that simple. And so God says to Moses, Stop crying out to me. Go forward. You got to go. Don't, don't retreat. Don't surrender. Don't give in. Just put out your staff. Off you're going to go. You got to believe God for the unbelievable. So, lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through in the midst of the sea on dry land. Four times it says dry land. Once in Exodus 15 it says dry land. Once in Nehemiah 9, once in Psalm 66, Hebrews 11, dry land, dry land, dry land. Dry land? How? What tells you? As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of Egyptians, and they will go in after them, and I will, I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. 
Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. In the morning watch, or at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians, the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. He made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone to the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. This is a revelation of the power of God put on display. God says he swept the sea back, verse 21. The Lord looked through the pillar of fire, verse 24. He brought the army into confusion. Verse 24. Verse 25. He caused your chariot wheels to swerve. He made them drive with difficulty. Right? The Lord was fighting against the Egyptians. Verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots, over the horsemen. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians. Verse 27. God did all this. God did it all. It's a revelation of the power of God. Wow. He did the impossible. When there was nothing but Uncertainty before them. A Red Sea. And there was nothing but adversity bearing down upon them. They had to believe what God said. Danger before, difficulty behind. They had to believe what God said. That's why in Hebrews 11, verse number 2, it says, And they gained a good report. What's a good report? They had to come to a place where they believed in what God had said. Go forward. You got to do what I tell you to do. Look what happens. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. See that? They feared the Lord. When they saw what God did, they trembled. Once they trembled, they trusted. Once they trusted, they triumphed. The horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. Exodus chapter 15, the great song of Moses and deliverance of the people of Israel. What a tremendous story. 
All true. All true. It's all about taking God at his word. Do you do that? Or do you live a life of fear because of your present distress? God says the same thing to you that he said to the Israelites. Don't do that. Stop fearing. In fact, he says it all the time. That's all he ever says. Book of Deuteronomy, verse 22, chapter 3. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. That's why you don't fear them. They're going to the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. Moses is giving his last words. Why are you going to fear them? I'm going to fight for you. I have fought for you all along. This is why you're at the, the brink of the promised land. Because I fought for you. Don't fear them. I will fight for you. Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord whom you serve will fight for you this day, and the Egyptians you will see no more. Stand still. Don't fear. Let the Lord fight. So Moses at the end, chapter 3, says the same thing. Chapter Five, he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. You want, to be, you want things to be well with you forever? Fear me, keep my commandments. So he says in chapter 6, verse number 2, these things are given to you so that your son and your grandson might fear the Lord. Verse number 13, you shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship him and swear by his name. Verse 24, chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord, our God, for our good always and our survival. Listen, in order for you to survive, you must fear God and not man. You think that fearing man is going to allow you to live a life of survival. No, it doesn't. You want your life to be successful and you want to survive, you need to fear me and fear only me because you're going to live in houses, he says, that you did not build. You're going to drink water from cisterns you did not dig. I'm going to give you all these things and you better fear me and not fear them if you want to live successfully and survive in the land of promise. So, he goes on and says in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Just read through the book of Deuteronomy. Moses over and over again said, listen guys, this is it. Solomon says it well. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the sum of a man's existence. Fear God, Keep his commandments. That's it. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, Solomon says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. In other words, everything God does is concrete. Can't change it. Remains forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. In other words, everything that God does is absolutely concrete. Not only is it concrete, it is absolutely complete. You can't add nothing to it. You can't take anything from it. Why? Because everything God does is complete. And he says this. For God has so worked that man should fear him. Isn't that great? 
can't change what God's going to do. You can't add to what God's going to do. You can't take away from what God's going to do. Why? Because God did what he did because you need to fear him. That's the sum total of everything of our existence. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Psalm 130, verse number 4. Why does God forgive you your sins? So you fear him. So you learn to live in the fear of the living God. So you tremble at his presence. To this man will I look? To him who is broken and of a contrite heart, who trembles at my word. That's the man God looks to. That's the man God blesses. You tremble. You're trembling at me and my word. You will trust me in my word. You trust me in my word. You will triumph because of me and my word. But you've got to tremble before me. And you've got to trust me. And the Lord says to Isaiah these words. Is the Lord of hosts, whom you shall regard as holy. Do you regard God as holy? How do you know? He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. If you regard God as holy, the holiness of God, you will live in the fear of a holy God. He will be your dread. If you do, then... He should become your safe place, your sanctuary, your security. You're afraid of what man might do to you, and you want security. Instead of if you feared only what God would do and who God is, you find security. Because he is the all-sufficient God of the universe. So the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews eleven twenty nine, by faith. They, who? Israel. Passed through the sea on dry land. Why? Because they learned to tremble at the true and living God. Trust only in Him so their lives would be victorious. And they were. But whenever they forgot what God did, and they did not remember, they rebelled against God. But as long as they remembered, they would rely upon God and rejoice in their God. That should be us, right? That should be us every day, believing in what God has said absolutely, taking God and His Word 100%, and then living in accordance to that Word. That's the blessed life. The fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. It'll always lead you the wrong way. So God will say, don't do that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. In the back of his mind, he's probably saying, bones, baby bones. Just remember the bones. There's a final destination before you. And where is that? It's the presence of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and all that you do and the truth of your word. Our prayer, Lord, is that you go before us, guide us, and direct us. May we live in the fear of God all day long, as Solomon says in Proverbs 24, and fear nothing else, and learn to live by faith, trusting, obeying our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In your name we pray, amen.